Are you a sexy, indulgent musician suffering from consistent long hours, crippling self-doubt, and constant disappointment? Well, do we have a show for you. Welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment, a bi-weekly deep dive into what it takes to be a healthy and successful musician in the modern industry. My name is Melody Kaiser. And I'm Dustin Williams. And we're both full-time musicians and creative entrepreneurs. And today we are discussing the big question for artists. Do I need music theory? The short answer is no, but if you stick around for a bit, we'll give you some personal and professional opinions on how it might actually be helpful for you. Yeah, so so the basic answer is no. You don't need music theory. Mm-hmm. It's not a requirement. There are actually tons of successful multi-platinum selling artists who didn't know um, music theory in the traditional academic sense, who were um, able to accomplish wonderful things in their careers. Um, yep. So, so um, it's definitely not necessary. And some of those artists, if you're not familiar with them, um, flee. Yeah, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, he's a big one for sure. Yeah, Um, One that everybody always mentions is Paul McCartney from the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Kurt Cobain from Nirvana. And um, Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac. Doesn't doesn't really even know know how to, the notes on the piano at all, which is really cool. She oh, wow. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Just use your ear. Just figured it out, Fingers man. Figures her way through it. Yeah. yeah. I do think it's important, though, because it helps you communicate with other people. And it basically is just an understanding of what you're doing and playing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and these people that we've we've listed here, Flea and, and Paul McCartney, Stevie Nicks, they all probably already have that understanding inside of them. Yeah. Yeah, whether it's just like more of an intuition or, um, you know, I mean, at this point, they've been, you know, around for so long that um, some of them have already, you know, they've eventually picked it up. Like they started learning some of this stuff. I know Flea has said, you know, like when he first started, he wasn't really interested in the theory, didn't really study it. But over time, he started realizing like how it could be helpful and um, started, uh, you know, trying to learn uh, bits and pieces here and there. And, And so like, you know, he's uh, point is he obviously made a, a great career without it. Um, of course, you know, and now it's just almost like he just wants to learn more about the craft that he's dedicated his life to. Yeah, and Paul McCartney is probably the most famous example of this, um, not knowing theory in the traditional sense, but at the same time, he really did understand music theory. It just wasn't in the sense of he didn't understand written sheet music and probably didn't know um, what exactly like a seventh chord was, but he knew what it sounded like and when Mm -hmm. to use it Yeah, and what sounded good to him. So while he didn't know it in like the traditional way, he did kind of know it. And and so a way that we like to think about music theory that we we actually were discussing earlier is um, music theory is kind of like learning a language. Right. So mm-hmm. it, so if music itself is the language, music theory is kind of like learning it in written form. Yeah. Learning like the grammar. Right. 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 Learning the rules of the language. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. definitely don't have to have those rules to speak the language at all. Right. Right. You can definitely know the language already. You can speak it fluently with other people. But it really helps um, to speed up your process of learning the language and also to be able to write the language and to 
communicate in that way more effectively mm-hmm. if you know the rules and the written form. And right. that goes the same with music. And it's funny that that analogy works so well because most people, or not most people, but most musicians do kind of consider music a language. Yeah, 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 I would say. I mean, I know I do, for sure. Right. For sure, for sure. So when you're on stage and you're communicating with other people through music, it's just like any other form of communication. Mm-hmm. The special thing about it, though, is that it's a global language. It's, yeah, it's a language right. that crosses all barriers. Mm-hmm. Um, and another really popular analogy that I've heard recently for music theory was that music theory is like having a roadmap. Yes, yes. So you may be able to get to where you're wanting to go, but it may take longer. And once you get there, you may not know exactly how you got there. Yeah. Couldn't get here again. I just got here. (laughs) And that's exactly. And I've had so many experiences like that in, Mm -hmm. in music. Oh, Oh yeah, especially music. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I wasn't. Uh, I learned um, f- at first self-taught. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. 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 And so, I I did know what these concepts of music theory sounded like, but I definitely didn't know what they were called, mm-hmm. and much less um, how to use them in a way that would communicate certain emotions easily, mm-hmm. or like just like in practical ways. Right. You know, like I, I remember learning like, you know, modes really early on. And then uh, like I knew what they were, but I didn't really know like how to use them. It was like, OK, I know these scales. Great. Now what? You right. Know? Right. And um, and it's really the same for me, even understanding the difference between, you know, a major chord and a minor chord. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know how to play them and that they sound different. But being able to apply them in a way that really conveys an emotion in a progression of chords takes time. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, yeah. Because because with that like training of 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 like learning whatever rules there are to uh, any particular you know um, aspect of music theory, um, the ear is also such a big part of it. And and like you also have to develop your ear. And like anyone can develop an ear, and everyone's journey is going to be different. But um, your ear, it's definitely, I mean, I would say obviously the most important part of music, you right. know, um, this stuff is all secondary, but, um, but almost ear training is kind of a, an aspect of it too, I guess that's, right. you know. And, and theory and ear training, I agree with you. To me, they go hand in hand. Yeah. Like you can't really have one, you, you can have one without the other. And I mean, that's possible, but yeah. really they work best when they're together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, like having a good, uh, like having a good theoretical knowledge, but then like, like not having trained your ear is kind of like, um, like, uh, it's very clinical, you know, it's like you can execute a task, but is that task going to have the impact that you want it to have? Right. You know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and. I think that that's important um, to kind of uh, specify because a lot of people, chances are most people who at least have a hobby in music or an interest in music probably already know some music theory through just their ears. Sure. Yeah. Right. Whether they know what to call it or not, chances are they already know some. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important too, before we really dive into how you can use music theory depending on what your goals are, I think it's important to to discern that we are specifically talking about Western music. Theory. Yes, yes. 
<laughs> a very specific thing. Yeah. Right. And so this is not um, the end all be all rules for music theory. This is just specifically um, the music theory that we know and used to communicate in Western music. Mm-hmm. So um, I know you were talking earlier, there are total, there are so many different music theory approaches. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just within Western music, but then you go into things like like Chinese classical or Indian classical, which I, I know very little about, just like some YouTube videos here and there, you know. But but I mean, the rules and and the the way that even music is is looked at is very different. Um, in fact, uh, I was just talking to um, to John Fushi mm-hmm. um, recently um, of Fushi's Forecast, a great guitar player, amazing musician, awesome dude. Um, and he, he just finished a trip to India and I'm not going to like try to quote anything that he said about it. Cause I'm sure I, I won't get it right. <laughs> but his, his point was that, you know, the way that they, um, they think about practice over there is very different. Like if, if you're playing an instrument, like practice and, and, and knowledge of your instrument is so much more important there to them than, than it is in, in like you know, in America, like anyone can go buy a Squire Strat at Guitar Center for 120 bucks and now you're a guitar player. You know, whether that makes you a good one or not is, (laughs) you know, subjective. But um, as far as just the the approach to to theory and stuff. So anyway, all all that said, um, you know, different cultures obviously have like totally different approaches. So this is definitely specific to like, like Western music theory yeah, western music definitely and we we just wanted to clarify that before a little bit we, of country too before we said anything right <laughs> <laughs> totally we are in atlanta so the country accents are flowing <laughs> um so so we just wanted to discuss today how depending on what you want to do with music and what your goals are music theory can be applied to pretty much anything that you want to do in music and it can be really helpful to you to go back to our initial statement, no, it's not necessary. You do not have to have it, but it really, really is helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it one hundred percent is helpful. So we just wanted to start it um, just just by listing off. So whether you're a home recording artist, a freelance musician, a composer, an orchestral player, a hobbyist, music theory can be good for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can use it. So for example. Let's just dive into some of these. Yeah. So as a home recording artist, this is maybe the newest form of, of musician. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and I would put this hand in hand with content creating artist mm-hmm. um, because those usually do go hand in hand. As we know, the music industry's changed so much <laughs> with the, yeah. um, the invention of the internet, yeah. um, which is crazy. It's only been like a little over 20 years, but it oh, changed everything. I know, yeah. Um, so as the home recording artist um, grows, right, um, it, it's important to them to know how to apply music theory through their use of loops, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of people would say like, well, why? You can just drag a loop into your recording um, DAW, which for those of you that don't know, that's a digital audio workstation. It's Mm. the platform that you can edit audio on basically. And so you can just drag a loop of some sample of music into this DAW program and um, you can put drum tracks on it. And yeah, you don't have to know music theory to do that in its most basic form, but to really dive into that and to be 
really proficient at that and creative with that, music theory can definitely help. Um, so I would say the first thing that comes to mind for me is just understanding key signatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because like, well, like you said, if you have a loop, and let's say you find something on Splice and it's like this really cool F sharp minor, um, you know, piano thing, and then you find a bass line that's really dope, but it's like, you know, G minor. Like you're going to want to know, you know, that those two aren't going to work very well together. Now there's obviously like plugins you can use to pitch shift things, but even then you have to know what a semitone is. You know, you're going to have to know like how to, how to push things up and down and, and that can off, often have its own issues. So, um, but yeah. yeah, key signatures I think is, is, is huge. Um, I guess a quick breakdown, you know, for those who aren't listening, like, uh, how would you describe a, a key signature? Ooh, that's a great question. So a key signature is a certain set of notes arranged in a way that creates a minor or a major key. Mm -hmm. and, and basically, with, I'm trying to, not to use the word key, but a minor or major key um, is the certain notes that portray a feeling. Let's yeah. just say it in that way. Cool. And then that I way like we're it. not using music theory terms um, directly. Um, so um, it's very important for home recording artists to be able to at least have a basic understanding of key signatures. Yeah, and because also like if you're um, uh, like if you're going to use um, auto tune, right? Especially because that's a big thing in like modern like pop and and like hip hop production, um, where uh, you know auto tune is used as as like an effect to kind of give the the voice you know some a little something different. Anyway, um, if you're going to use auto tune, you're going to need to know which notes in the key. Are the ones you're supposed to go to. So if you know if someone's off, if you're off by a half step, if the person you're recording is off by a half step or you know a step and a half, you're going to want to know okay, I need to go up or down. And you know, for those of you who have great ears, then that's no problem. But even if you do have a great ear, if it's a really dense mix or if there's like a lot happening in the melody, it's a lot easier to just know okay, this is the note where we're going for. Right, you and know? it's also really important, just in a basic way, um, for creating melodies as a home recording artist. Mm. So so the key is giving you basically these notes are um, the, the notes that will make this melody. Yeah, I mean, these, these say, are the notes you can use that won't sound bad. Right, right, or <laughs> odd know? or off or yeah. portray something other than minor or major. Right, right. <laughs> That's the basic way to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, and furthermore, when you're hiring people to play on your tracks, Yeah. Right, you yeah. want to be able to communicate what you need from them. Yeah, with yeah. them, and that's really important for sure. And and you know, I think like, you know, like if when when I've done sessions for people, um, remote or in person, and like I'll, I don't usually ask for the key because because my ear like can figure it out, but I still know like the relationship. So I know like, okay, this is the key. These are the notes I can play. And these are the chords we're going to be using that I can build a, a baseline off of. And, um, so that said, like you might not necessarily be giving the key to just any session musician, but especially if you're like hiring someone who's doing like strings or very particular arrangements that you want, um, classically trained musicians in particular, like a lot of them need sheet music or would prefer sheet music. Um, and being able to communicate the key, especially if you have a really, really particular idea that you're trying to achieve, um, being able to communicate not just the key, but also like knowing what that means and how to, to use certain notes to your advantage um, 
can can help the communication process because and I'll say the reason why this is so important uh, for you artists out there is because when you hire somebody to play on your stuff, you're usually paying by the hour. So the more time that you take to figure out how to explain a part to them, the more they make and the more you're losing. Right. <laughs> this is coming from the guy who's, who's getting paid to do that, that that session work, right? So like, you know, you'll make your jobs uh, a lot easier and you will also save money. Right. And kind of a last point I want to make too, um, as far as the home recording artist is concerned is um, music theory also not only involves notes and pitches, but it also involves rhythmic theory. Yes. And that's so important as a home recording artist who is having to program drums mm -hmm. and program key parts, uh, basically just creating rhythms for those melodies and the drum tracks that mm -hmm. go with them. Um, having an understanding of how rhythms are written and how they work makes the process so much easier. Oh my God, yeah. It's not impossible to do. I don't want to say that. People do it all the time who have no idea about rhythmic theory at all. Mm -hmm. But it makes it a lot faster, a lot easier. And and usually that makes for a better creative process when you're not getting frustrated about why it's not sounding the way you want it oh, to. Oh yeah, for sure. That's honestly probably one of the best reasons why you should know this stuff too. It's just like, you don't get bogged down and why doesn't this sound right? Like right. now you know, you know exactly right. what you need. Exactly. Um, so I do want to dive in a little bit more. Dustin specifically is a session musician, hmm. um, at least yep. more than I am. You, you do a lot more session work um, than I do and, and freelance musician work. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel like in your experience, understanding music theory has helped you in in sessions? Let's let's start with sessions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great question. Um, so um, music theory, so like when I was younger, I didn't really, I wasn't interested in it. I didn't really want to learn it. And that's pretty common, you know, especially like I was in kind of into the, like the punk and more like hardcore scene in the early days of, of like performing for me. So um, that was just like, nobody cares about that stuff in this style, you know? Totally. I've been there. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Uh, but um, yeah, as far as like how it's been helpful for me, man, I mean, there's been so many sessions where I've come into the studio um, and like I've never heard the music before. I may not even really know the artist. Like it might have been like a producer or an engineer who called me. Right. You know, and so I'm just like showing up um, and I'm hearing the song for the first time. Um, a lot of the time there isn't a chart. Sometimes there is. Um, usually I've, I've never really done any notation work, like, like traditional notation, mm -hmm. but it's a lot of chord charts otherwise. Um, and so the, the thing is, and I mentioned this earlier, like time is money, you know? And so like I, I get paid by the hour or by the song or by whatever, but but it's not just me. It's also the, the artist paying for the studio time, the engineer and the other session musicians that are there. So um, my point is like, it's really important that you can show up and do the job efficiently and in a timely manner, right? You don't want to be, I think you said it earlier when we were discussing this, like, yeah, for me, like as someone who's hired session musicians and usually been on that side of it, it can totally change the mood of a recording session if the first take is not up to expectation, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. if it's horrible, it really bogs down <laughs> not only creativity, but also like workflow and everybody just gets kind of this nervous energy. Yeah. And it and you know you're paying for it, so then you have the the thought of 
do I just let them keep trying? Yeah, you know am I what wasting I mean? money? Right. Like, what am I, yeah, because, yeah, like, especially for artists, I mean, it's not like most of them aren't loaded. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, so. yeah. So, so it really is important. Like, if I give you a chord chart, because you're right, I've never done notation. But a lot of times when you're hiring freelance musicians, they're, it's like usually you will send them the song before they get there, mm -hmm. but not always. Like sometimes yeah. they're on call with the studio. Right. So like they've never heard the song. So if you can't look at a chord chart as a session musician, understand pretty much everything that that means, how to play the chords, um, rhythmic variation, how to fit in with the band, and then lastly, how to like improvise and come right. up with a cool part on top of those chords that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It really, you're really doing yourself a disservice, and also you're doing the artist that you're playing for a disservice. For sure, you know, because they're sure. paying a lot of money for for you to really come in and just like nail this as quickly as you can. I mean, I mean, the truth is like, like being a freelance like session musician, whether it's live or studio, is is like being like a plumber, like. You, when you pay a plumber and they're expensive, usually you expect them to come in and know what they're doing. And, and like, if they screw it up, it's like a big issue, right. <laughs> you know, but like, it's, so it's the same for, for a musician, like a session musician, like you need to know your craft and you need to show up and you need to do the job and, and do it efficiently. And, um, and so theory just, it gives you the, the knowledge of like, for me, I can tell you just for me as a bass player, like knowing chord theory, especially has made me approach bass, bass lines with so much more musicality because I'm, I'm, and it's not like, I, I will also say this, I'm not sitting there like actively thinking time to do the Dorian mode. Like, like it's right. this, a lot of this is like, you have to come prepared with with private practice like on your own on your own time you need to be spending time at home like r running through these and, and experimenting and and i mean honestly the best the best way to really get better is, is like jam sessions you know going to, to like live jam sessions downtown or something wherever you are and if that's available to you um playing with other people yeah playing with other people communicating sure. speaking yeah. the language yeah 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 Basically. it's like it's like learning spanish you know like 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 for me learning spanish in middle school and high school like you know, I mean, you had to learn the conjugations and you had to learn all this stuff. Otherwise, like, you know, even at a base level, you're going to really struggle to communicate with somebody. I thought of another cheesy analogy. Oh, yeah. What's that? Private practice is Duolingo. Oh, dude. Yeah, totally. No, you're right. <laughs> and though. then you're playing right. with other musicians is actually speaking language yeah. with somebody. <laughs> yeah, it's going to the... the um, the meeting or the, you know, totally the different. meet and greet. <laughs> yeah, totally different. <laughs> Traveling to um, the country. Right? And what you were saying too, so so bass is a is a specific kind of instrument. It's yes. a monophonic, monophonic instrument. Monophonic, yes. Right? And, and most people probably know what that means, but if you don't, that's totally fine. It means that you can only play usually one note at a time. Or, or generally you do. It's not generally. that you can, but more yeah. so that like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, I played saxophone in school and most horns... And I say most because I don't know. There's probably something out there that I don't know that people are going to be like, you're wrong. Or like Jeff Coffin doing the dual sax. Maybe <laughs> right, 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 right. But, but horn instruments are also monophonic. Mm. And so people would say a lot, well, you really just need to know scales. You don't need to know chords. But in my opinion, scales and chords kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. They're basically this, the same thing. A yeah. chord is just... Uh, multiple notes of a scale being played at the same time. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. That's really yeah. all it is. Yeah. Um, and we don't have to dive deeper 
in it than that. But it's really for important now. for now. <laughs> but, but it's really important um, as a session musician and a, as an improv musician and just a general instrumentalist mm -hmm. to really know both. Yeah. No, no matter what your instrument is. Yeah. Um, and like we've been saying the whole time, you don't have to, but it's really going to make your life a lot easier. Well, yeah. And, and, and again, I think it kind of like it, it comes down to because like what we're talking about here is kind of like on an individual like career basis, like right. what is good, you know, like totally. as, as a session musician, you mentioned the monophonic thing and like, you know, like different theory is more important for different instruments. Like, um, you know, now I do agree that for me, chord theory has been probably one of the most helpful things I've ever learned. I agree. Um, because my job as a bass player is to support the chord progression most of the time. So, right. so knowing that stuff gives me a better idea of, of not just what to play, but also what not to play. And probably more of that, probably <laughs> right. more of what not to play than, than you know. Um, That's a good general rule is, um, yeah. Less is not more. to play. <laughs> yeah, less is more <laughs> yeah. for sure, for sure. Definitely. Um, anyway, go ahead. No, so I mean, I, I come from mostly a background of like improv musician, right? Mm -hmm. I grew up playing in cover bands, um, grew up playing blues guitar, right? It, rock guitar, um, but with a basis in blues. And I make that difference because there is definitely two different forms of approaches to rock guitar, right? Yeah. There's a classical way, which is a lot more of learning the modes and the scales yeah. and the, the music theory. And Think I didn't, 80s guitar. Yeah, I didn't come from that, right? I came from like blues guitar, Muddy Waters, mm -hmm. Eric Clapton, Lead Belly, yeah. Robert Johnson. Like the old stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and well, Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, yeah. like that was the stuff when I started playing guitar that I really liked. I liked blues-based music. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of rock music of what we consider pop rock or classic rock or just general rock is blues based. A yes, lot of it definitely. is. Yes, definitely. ACDC, Zeppelin, I mean, all these. A lot of it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that's the background I came from. And so when I was growing up, I didn't want to know music theory. Mm -hmm. And like I watched this, um, why I mentioned Stevie Nicks earlier. I remember watching this interview with her when I was still pretty little. And she said that Lindsey Buckingham, who is the guitarist and producer, main producer of Fleetwood Mac, um, told her, never learn what the notes are on a piano. Oh, really? Because then that will prohibit you from being able to use your ears only mm. to create what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And so I heard that. And I'm like, well, I love Fleetwood Mac, so I'm not going to learn music Screw theory. This, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I remember talking to um, a cousin of mine, Sean, who is a really good classical guitar player. Um, and he questioned why I didn't know theory and mm -hmm. why I hadn't shown an interest in it. And I was like, well, I don't want it to limit my creativity. I was in that band camp. Like, I really was. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and I really believed that. I really wholeheartedly believe that. And part of me still kind of does. I think that there's a line to draw. There is, In definitely. music theory, mm -hmm. which we can talk about later. But um, I, I come from that background, right? Improv musician. But I will say I learned 
to read sheet music in school because I was in band, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, you don't really learn much music theory when you're in band, usually. I've discovered that as a teacher now. I, yeah. I, yeah. You don't really learn what you're doing. You just learn that this is an A and this is how you play it and the rhythms. So you learn it, but but not really. You Because there's like a hundred of you. <laughs> yeah. And you don't develop a deep understanding of what you're doing. You mm-hmm. learn how to do it, but not why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't until I got to college that I learned the why. Right. I learned why you play these notes over this chord, why, you know, what what all of it really means. And and as somebody that came from the opposite side of thinking, it was a game changer, man. I was like, I can I can make basically what I was doing faster. I can make it make more sense. Mm -hmm. I mess up less. I. um you know, am not as nervous. Like, let's focus on that for a second. Like, I'm kind of an anxious person in general. So coming into playing with other people or in front of people and not really knowing what's going on. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Like, you can know the song and you can know where to put your fingers. But if you have no basis of what's actually going on musically... I mean, it is nerve-wracking, and especially when you start messing up because you don't know how to fix it, and that's when it really gets scary, and then you end up embarrassed. And and so from that side of it, as like an improv musician, I've done a little session work, but not really. Um, That is where I found a lot of importance in it. Yeah. Well, I'm also like, I thought it was interesting. One thing you said was like um, how it helps you make less mistakes but it also for me it helps me recover from the numerous mistakes that i make all the time <laughs> totally i think it's joe pass the guitar player um the jazz guitarist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who said it's not the mistake you make it's how you recover from it it's so true dude and it's true i have found fewer things like few things to be more true than that statement and in music and especially specifically in improv right specifically in improv for sure right and and, and improv is scary it's a it's yeah. if that is one of your goals you want to be able to play with other musicians and just rip a solo over whatever they're playing it really does help to know music theory yeah you don't have to again but it really really helps yeah um and then also um a totally let's let's go to the flip side of that now okay right um, if you're wanting to play in an orchestra, mm. right? Oh, yeah. And um, most people assume that, like, you really have to know your stuff. And generally, the, the better the orchestra, the, the better the musicians and the more that they do know. Mm-hmm. But the reason why it's important in that environment is for totally different reasons, right? And And I've never played in, like, a string orchestra, but I did play in, like, band and we did symphonic band and you know all all kinds of cool stuff like that um obviously the written sheet music portion of it is very important um right for for obvious reasons that's how you learn the music that's Mm -hmm. how you practice the music that's how you play the music but then also it's knowing where you fit in the sound and understanding what part of the chord you're playing because everybody in a band is monophonic yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, totally true. Um, I remember being in band and learning um, saxophones a lot of times got the third of, oh, the, really? of the scale. Why which, is that? 
I don't know. Hmm. But it seemed like we always did because we were always out of tune. Because the third of the scales, <laughs> the hardest one to tune. You haven't noticed that. Yeah, because if it's off, like, it's off. Well, and it also, for those um, who don't know, just really quick, we're Mm -hmm. not going to dive into the theory, but the third of the scale is the note that separates a scale from major and minor. Yep. Yep. So you've got, um, you know, do, mi, so, and you've got do, me, so. Mm, All I did is lower that third note and totally sounded different right yep, yep so yep. understanding the when you're playing in a band understanding um and and i mean like an orchestra band or like you know a school band with horns mm-hmm. it's really important to know um what part of the chord you're on and if you're in that third especially if you're out of tune you're gonna mess up the whole sound yeah totally. you know and, yeah. So, and so knowing stuff like that and being able to use your ears not only knowing it but hearing it mm-hmm. is really important and then also um let's talk about composers oh yeah this is probably one of the one of the most important as far as like a career if you want to have a career as a composer you got to know some of this stuff right um um for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even I don't even really know where to start with this. But say that your goal um when you love films, right? Let's say that you are a film wanting to be a film composer. Mm-hmm. That one is is extra tricky because you're not only writing something that conveys emotion through sound, mm-hmm. but you're having to match the emotion that's shown visually. Visually, right? Right. And so understanding how to do that using music and and using music theory is really the key to your whole job. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like I hate to say it. And and film composers also have it really tough because a lot of times you've only got a certain amount of time to do that. Right. So it's, it's easy to make something sound scary when you've got a ton of time to like build up suspense Mm -hmm. and, and get spooky and all that stuff. Yep. But a lot of times in movies, you've only got a minute or less yeah. to, to get that across. And so, you know, genius film composers, I mean, look at John Williams. Yeah. Bottom, bottom. <laughs> that pretty much did Phrygian it. scale, baby. <laughs> yeah, but that pretty much did it. So understanding um, what sounds are going to convey those emotions, whether it's happy or sad or sympathetic or scary, you know, um, there are chords and scales and theories that go into what do that. Yeah, yeah, you know, totally. Or what and does that in in the traditional way? Yeah, I was yeah, because like there's obviously like you know everyone's gonna have their interpretation on like like because I'll do this as like with my students when I'm trying to teach um, like chord theory or whatever. Right. And I'll always like I'll play a chord. I'll play a major chord, and I'll be like, "How does that make you feel? What does that?" Do for you, and then I'll do a minor chord, and the answers are so different all I do the that time. Too. Do you, is, you get the I same do. response? Um, it depends on the age of the student. Mm-hmm. I've realized. Oh, interesting. I, I don't think I I've think, noticed that. Uh, yeah, I okay. think. Well, well, what results have you gotten specifically? So, okay, um, so like, I mean, a lot of the time I'll I'll play a major chord, and they'll be like, oh, it kind of just you know, like makes me think of like a bright sunny day, or like you know, love, or you know, something like that. Right. And then I'll play a minor chord, um, and they'll sometimes I actually get the word mysterious, which is really interesting because to me that's like augmented, 
all written all over it. But right. but you know, everyone's different. Exactly. So um, I'll get that, or or sometimes I'll get like like um, creepy, or you know. So everyone, even though everyone's like answers are a little bit different. Um, I mean, I think obviously a lot of it is colored by like the the culture like movie culture that they've right. seen right tv shows totally. like have already taught them hey this is what the minor chord means guys totally. you know but i think it's also cool where like cuz now now it is especially i feel like i'm seeing this more maybe i just didn't pay attention to it earlier but it seems to me that um when when you see like a a really like dark messed up scene in a movie like there'll be like a happy song playing over it you yeah, know yeah oh for sure i, I think the example that just came to my mind, um, did you see that movie um, Insidious? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Okay, well, it's like a super scary movie. And in the scariest scene of the movie, they've got like, tiptoe by the window. Oh, the yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know, that that obviously is a creepy song, but it wasn't meant to be creepy. Well, but and, <laughs> that, and that's that's another thing with like theory, though, right? It's like, like whoever chose like the the uh, music director i guess for right. that movie because that wasn't a composed thing right. for the movie exactly. obviously um whoever was doing the music direction for that um like clearly like thought about like hey this this song gives me a feeling and maybe they didn't even know theory they probably they probably didn't right. but they knew hey this this gives me a um a feeling that can go well with this dark scene because it is so different because right. there's the contrast and still that is a it's it's a mo- emotional control right you know and and um anyway, I don't know where exactly I was going with that other than No, that's <laughs> you know, fine. But, and I and I think that this topic would actually be good to say like composer slash musical director, mm-hmm. music supervisor, even um, songwriter. Yeah, I, I agree. You yeah, cuz it's basically kind of I mean, they're not exactly the same, right. but in in that way they kind of are, you know. Yeah. The difference I would say with a with a regular what we think of when we think of songwriter, right? Like a, a girl with her acoustic guitar or a guy with his acoustic guitar. That's like what everybody thinks of yeah. when they think mm-hmm. of singer-songwriter, right? Um, and a composer is, a composer usually has to have a deep knowledge of a lot of instruments. Oh my God, I yeah. Mean, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say every instrument because nobody can have a deep knowledge of every instrument, but most of them. But I mean, yeah, quick, quick <laughs> list off, like, all the four strings, double bass, cello, viola, violin, flutes, clarinets, saxophones, trumpets, trombones, sousaphones, Tuba. tubas, uh, French horns, um, um, percussion, uh, what, what do you call those? The timpanis, oboes. oboes. I mean, my God, it's crazy. Yeah, And then it's a with, lot. within each section, you have how, however many of each instrument, you know, like yeah. three or four of, of certain instruments. Piano, um, guitar. I mean, modern composers use yep. synthesizers just as much oh, yeah. as they use orchestras. And, yep, so, yep, and that's yep. like its own music theory because um, if if you're not familiar with synth- synthesizers, um, they have um, this usual function called arpeggiation, which mm-hmm. is used, I mean, a good bit. Yep. If you've ever heard Baba O'Reilly by The Who or any song that kind of has that that kind of sound where the notes are jumping all around and it seems random, but it's really not. Programming that is a bitch. Yeah. Have you ever tried to program an arpeggiator? It's rough. It's not fun. Yeah. It's awful. And having a, an idea of what you're going for in your head is really key for that. Yeah. Knowing the music theory behind what you want that to be. And you don't have to know it because you can sit there and 
play through it a hundred million times. Until you find it, yeah. But to make it work right, it's really key. Well, too. it's a time saver. I mean, let's just, yeah. you know. Let this... and I'm, yeah, and I'm talking old school arpeggiators. Right, so there's right. probably some programs now where you just click through a bunch of presets and, and you oh, know, yeah. that I'm yeah. just not familiar with. Well, Logic but, has a ton of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Them, but, but. but to do anything on, on synthesizers, like the old school synth thing is coming back is why I say mm -hmm, this. It, mm -hmm. Stranger Things really had a big deal with that. Um, Modular was, synths um, and stuff. Yeah, like Jack Antonoff. Yeah, yep, I mean. Yep. All of that kind of music is really popular right now. And so, like, as these come back, you're going to have to deal with old school technology. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, which is for less sure. presets. And you like, you really have to know what you're doing more. You do. Yeah. 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 To really get good at it. Um, and, and that's probably a generalization, but that's just my opinion on it. Yeah. To do totally. it quickly and efficiently and it sound really good, it really is going to help to have that. Well, and 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 also like with the composer thing, um, back to that. But but this does this does tie into to songwriters too. Right. I think like again, if you're hiring people, you know, session musicians from the songwriter perspective. But as a composer, as you said, you're dealing with a massive amount of people, and you know these people all need to know. Like, I mean, I'm sure those of you listening have been in in a room when just like a whole bunch of people are at it like a, a dinner table all topping talking about different topics and they're like talking across the table right. oh my god it's the freaking worst right and right. so imagine that being multiplied by like you know a hundred and then like you know all of them are instruments that have like these weird technique things that if you slightly screw it up it's i mean it's just oh totally. god it's cacophony yeah, so totally you have to know that stuff and and um you know, to, to get the job done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, it, and it's going back to the Jack Antonoff thing, right? Um, he is a musician. He was in the band Fun. He's got the bleachers. Um, but his probably biggest role is as a producer. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people in pop music now either need a producer they're self-produced or they want to be a producer for somebody else. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. found that to be like a huge, not trend, but but kind of a trend, right? Yeah, totally. It totally. kind of yeah. is a trend. Um, and you don't necessarily have to know music theory to do the engineering part of it. Right. I mean, it really helps, but you don't have to have to know it because the engineering part of it is basically you know understanding how the equipment works and and setting up microphones and it's more of like the acoustical theoretical part of yeah, it and yeah. and the sonic theoretical part of it more yeah. than it is the music itself even more math right <laughs> in, in its yeah. simplest form and usually engineers and producers kind of go hand in hand yeah yeah so but if you're just wanting to be an engineer it will help you because working with clients um well, I just know from my experience, a lot of my engineers have kind of turned into a little bit of a producer. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I came in, and this was when I was first starting to record stuff, right? I came in and I was self-produced and thought that, you know, the parts would all go together perfectly from my GarageBand demos that I had. And then I got in a real studio and all of a sudden it just didn't sound quite the same, right? right? Right. Because, and it really, what it was, it wasn't that the studio was worse by any stretch. The studio is so much better 
that all of a sudden you can hear everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything's under a microscope, right. and that's why. And so yeah. here I am thinking I had everything figured out, mm -hmm. didn't hire a producer, <laughs> right? And yep. now I'm stuck in this room with this engineer who's looking at me like, you know, what what, what, what are we, we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> like, you need to tell me so I can mic it up yeah. and, and hit record. Uh -huh. And so a lot of times engineers will step into producer roles. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. even though you don't, you know, in its most simple form, it doesn't matter that much. Just know that that probably will come up because musicians don't know what they're doing a lot of the time. And engineers yeah. a lot of the time do. Yeah, well, exactly. Right. <laughs> they call them engineers for right. a reason. <laughs> um, but let, let's go back to just the producer side, mm -hmm. right? Um, usually the role of a producer they can help with songwriting, but I would say in its simplest form, a producer comes on to a song or is hired by the songwriter to record the song and make the song sound produced, like a, make it a production. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, you put all the bells and whistles, you know, like, right. like you know suggest the layers that you should um, add or tell you, hey, this is the best part of your hook. You need to repeat this. Like they're there to, in a lot of ways, to just be an extra set of ears. Right, you know? right. And so let's just take like one of the most famous songs ever. I don't know. Um, I Got a Good Feeling, right? Mm -hmm. um, if that song was written by your typical singer-songwriter, it would have been, and I'm not saying it is, this is just the, an example that I had because it's a huge song that most everybody will know. Mm -hmm. um, they would have that song with a guitar or a piano and their voice, and that is the song, right? Yep. right? That's mm -hmm. how songwriters make their money. That is the song. So say they have a voice recording memo mm -hmm. on their iPhone yep. <laughs> of that song. That, that's technically, they wrote the song. That's their product. Yep. But now they'll hire a producer to take that product and record it and make it sound like what we know to be, I got a good feeling. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so knowing as a producer what it takes, so, so you're kind of like a composer in a way, you're basically taking all of your knowledge of instruments and sounds and theory, because chances are you're going to have to create counter melodies and parts yep. and arrangements. Um, taking all of that knowledge and making that song better. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's really critical as a producer. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, and I'm sure there are producers out there. Also, also, I would like to clarify, I think, too, that that producer can be something a little bit different depending on which, like, main genre you're talking. For sure. Right? Yeah. So, like, like a rock producer, like, uh, to me, a rock producer is, like, somebody who's who's the extra set of ears. They, they're probably, you, in my experience, they're usually a musician. Mm -hmm. um, I, like as far as like, like an like a instrumentalist, you know, piano player, bass player, whatever, drummer. A lot of bass players are producers, actually. I've learned that. Um, anyway. they're, they're great well, ears, great people. <laughs> you're listening. You have to listen a lot, I think, in, <laughs> right. that, in that job, too. Drummers, too. I, and a lot of drummers become producers. Anyway, um, so uh, in that aspect yeah they're, they're kind of a listener but they don't necessarily have anything to do with the engineering whereas with um i think like pop and uh like hip-hop and and you know uh maybe like super modern r&b that's mostly like electronic right. or something. you know edm um producer means more of like the person who also makes the beats as well as like totally. the melodies right yeah, yeah yeah i yeah you're totally right it does depend on genre 
Um, but, you know, I mean, the basic idea is if you're wanting to get into production, having a knowledge of chord theory and melodic writing, that, that, and by that I just mean like writing melodies, right? Yeah. Knowing mm -hmm. what notes create beautiful melodies over a pre-existing chord progression, or you can write the melody first and write the chord progression later, mm -hmm. right? Um, and rhythmic variation, like we were discussing earlier, like yep. all of that's going to help you so much. Yeah. Um, and it can come down to if you don't want to learn the music theory, really understanding the program. But I yeah. feel like that does kind of limit you into what you can do because it's based on what program you're using right now. And who designed it. Right. And and <laughs> your background as a listener, as a musician, and, right. and your preferences and your tastes. And I will say just in what I've observed in my limited years in the <laughs> grand scheme of things, but really sure. what I've observed is programs really only last for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Your software true. is only going to last for a few years. Not that it won't be around forever, but it's not going to be like the popular thing, the best thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean. kind of mm -hmm. like what we were talking about with the analog synthesizers earlier. There are reasons why people moved away from those even yeah. though they're popular now. Yeah. They're really not user-friendly. You know, they're tricky, but they do have that sound, and that's really hard to cre recreate. Yes, yes, but, for sure. you know, basically, I, I guess where I'm getting at is just having a knowledge of a program may not be enough. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I guess lastly, who I wanted to talk about or who we wanted to talk about today are, are hobbyists. Right? Mm, yeah, totally. Because mm -hmm. that's a huge part of the music community, and we want probably the majority. <laughs> we want to include them too. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, so just say that you just are learning an instrument, or you want to be in a cover band, or you are in a cover band, and you're just playing other people's songs, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So technically, you could just learn those songs note for note using tabs, right? And yep. and those of you that don't know and probably a lot of people don't, tabs are used for string instruments and they literally just numerically tell you where to put your fingers. Specifically fretted string instruments. Right. That, yeah, exactly. Um, so so using something like that where you don't have to learn sheet music, right? Because right? sheet music is its own challenge. It's it not as easy as tabs or yeah. I'm sure other instruments have kind of cheat code ways to play it as well um, yeah. where you don't have to learn sheet music. Um, but say that that's what you're really wanting to do. You don't want to be a session musician or a producer, anything else we've talked about today. Well, music theory will help you. I really do think it will help yep. you um, first off to learn the songs faster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, it'll definitely help you learn faster. That happens to me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, and it's not just being able to use your ear, though that does help, but just understanding like what chords are in this key, you know, if it's a typical song, I mean, that's not always the rule if you're playing jazz or other genres, or if it's got some tricky chords, like Radiohead is always known for, oh. for playing chords out of key. And weird tunings too. Right, right. But, but generally, right, they call it diatonic <laughs> mm -hmm. yep, <laughs> right? yep. or in key. Most yep. songs stay in one key. And so being able to, to understand the concepts behind that makes learning a catalog of songs so way much easier. Way easier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and uh, 
also like if you're a speaking of the cover musicians right and and this is definitely you know cover musicians can range from hobbyists to professionals so you know this can be useful across the board but um if you're a cover musician and let's say you have to play a song that you always play because the people that come out to see you at that bar every other saturday really want to hear that song well the night before your your voice went out and you're having a hard time hitting that note you normally hit. Right. Instead of forcing yourself to do it or not playing the song, you can transpose the song down to another key that works better for you. And and knowing theory is going to make that process nearly instant instead of having to rethink all your chord shapes or move your capo up and down. Or maybe, you know, actually, I mean, even just knowing how to use a capo, for example. Right. You kind of have to have a, least, a, a very and, foundational understanding of theory. Yeah, and not thinking of it as a crutch. Let's just yeah. get that out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Capos right. are tools, not crutches. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I hate, yeah, 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 for sure. Any any tool on the guitar is exactly what it is. It's a tool, not a crutch. And, right. Um, yeah, but, but so I think... Um, like transposing is a big reason why why that theory can help. But also, like I know, like sometimes I'll learn a song by a band that like the guitar is in a weird tuning, like like the G string is tuned down to an F sharp, and um, like I hate tuning my strings differently than standard. Like right. I just always had drop D is one thing, or like you know drop C sharp or something. Okay, that's fine. But like tuning one or two strings off by standard and then the rest are standard fucking drives me crazy. So it, it's different. <laughs> it's really different. And and maybe I'm just an old man who doesn't want to do new things. But <laughs> but theory helps me uh, not have to do that because instead of like having to depend on a tab and then have to like figure it all out from there, I can just right. I can hear it and be like, oh, it's a major third. Cool. Where can I find that? So I do have Bam. a real world example that happened to Ooh. me for the transposing. Okay. That I feel like would at least give an example and shed some light on this. So um, when I was in uh, a cover band, right, we had a keyboardist. Mm -hmm. And um, if the song was in, I don't remember if the song was in a weird key and they just transposed it or they hit the wrong button and their keyboard suddenly transposed. Oh, no. Um yeah um actually this happened to me twice um one of the, the other time the keyboard that the company the production company brought up onto stage was already transposed like, like and that's we were the on default? a yeah and we were on like a music cruise in front of like a big crowd dude what and the it heck? was it was like in c sharp instead of c so it was like and it wasn't even a half Crazy. step. A half step would have been easy to see. It was somewhere totally weird. Was, oh my but, god! But the idea of both of these stories is basically the same thing. When the band, well, at first I kind of noticed something. Something sounds different. Mm -hmm. But when the band came in, and we realized, oh wow, they're in a different key. Thankfully, in both of these case, well, in in the original case the original music case uh -huh. everybody was good enough at music theory and ear training where they were able to compensate in the cover band case everybody just kind of let it be just a keyboard only song oh shit yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. um and and so that's wow. like a real world example that's of that crazy. happening i'm just on like i'm stage. sitting here like just like processing what you just said yeah. and i'm like i because you know if you're at the local dive bar or whatever like maybe it's not that big of a deal but if you're being hired for like a wedding gig yeah. or like you're being hired like like 
professionally to do something and you in like and you don't know how to transpose shit like this like like you oh my god dude. oh yeah. that just gave me an anxiety attack yeah Holy it's crap. like it, when the band comes in and they're in a totally different key <sighs> than the intro it's like wow wow this is bad that's rough and you know and understanding music theory and how to transpose which is basically that just means like changing keys right, right. um but playing the same melody and chord progression in, in a, a different, different key, key. right? Yeah. Um, totally saved those situations yeah. or ruined those situations. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so, like, yeah. I've had both happen, mm -hmm. and both were really scary. But knowing what to do, right, was the key, you know, mm -hmm. to to making it not a train wreck. Yeah. Um, and so, even as a hobbyist, right, one of those instances happened to me in a cover band. And so, you know, mm -hmm. if you don't want that song that you guys practiced that much to be a train wreck when yeah. you play it live, like, you know, being able to do that is the key. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, pun intended. Right, <laughs> right. Um, and, and it also helps, you know, um, just understand the artists that you love, how they wrote this music and what makes it sound so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, that's, that's the thing. Like, ultimately, like, if you're if you're just a hobbyist or if you're professional, whatever, like, you, clearly you love music enough to want to pick up an instrument, especially if you're like, I mean, I'm not saying other instruments are easier, but if you're a string player, like, starting guitar fucking sucks. Yeah. From, from day one, yeah, it like, it's yeah. rough. And, and I mean, God, you know, God forbid, violin or cello, like, that shit's hard. Right. So, like, it's a lot of time and patience. It's a lot of practice. And it's like, if you're going to do that, like, you might as well dive in. And yeah. I think you'll find that you end up great, gaining a greater appreciation. For sure. It's like, it's like if you're a car lover, like I don't, I don't think I've ever met, like I, I've met a few car lovers. I'm not a big car guy, so I don't know too many of them. But I, you right. know, if I've met like people who are really into cars, like pretty much all of them like know something about like the mechanics of an engine and how to repair shit on their car because they right. just love cars so much. So I think, you know, just knowing about the thing you love is cool. Yeah. It's fun. Totally. Yeah. I totally agree. And so I guess the last thing that we wanted to um, to talk about today is um, we definitely don't want you to be afraid to experiment in fear of messing up. Yeah. Which is actually, uh, I mean, a, a huge topic when it, music theory is concerned. Yeah. Right? And it's actually the topic of um, Victor Wooten's book, The Music Lesson. Mm -hmm. Which, if you haven't read that book, it's amazing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just so it's good. it's like a musical philosophy book, right? More yeah. than it is a how to play music. No, book. it's not academic at all. It's a novel, basically. It's mm -hmm. like there's a fictional story that also kind of teaches you stuff about music, but right. it's never like super theory heavy. Right, and and so just because we're encouraging you to learn music theory, don't feel like you can't break the rules. By all means, please break the rules. We just wanted to bring up that. It makes things easier. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, for sure. And it can really help you, and you can learn a lot, and just overall become a better musician as far as playing and learning the language is concerned. Yeah, definitely. I, yes, it, it, learning theory will give you a, a more understanding and more uh, vocabulary, but but it's just like learn. I mean, Victor Wooten literally says this all the time. He's like, when you first learn how to talk as a kid, like your parents weren't 
hopefully weren't correcting you like all the time about your your you saying the wrong word or phrasing things incorrectly. They just they spoke baby talk to you because it was easier to just have that communication and and, and that connection. And so, you know, like you said, you know, don't be afraid to to screw up, quote unquote. Don't be afraid to try something new, to to break the rules and to push boundaries. And I also I would say I think it is important to 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 point out that like because people have made posts about this before, and so we might as well address it here too, that theory, Western theory has been used in the past in negative ways. It's been used to keep people of color and people of different you know, education classes uh, or, or financial status um, from participating in music. So like, there is a dark side to theory, but there's a really a dark side to everything. And on the other side of it, like, Theory was also what we had prior to recording. Right. It was the only way we could communicate an idea and make sure it's the same. It's like math. It's like algebra. Like algebra crosses cultures and theory can cross cultures because it can help you communicate an idea and make sure that that what you were trying to say was was not telephoned and and totally fucked up. Right. You know? And um and at the end of the day, I think we said this earlier too, is is Theory is 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 probably like when it first became a thing. It was just a way to classify shit because people like to classify things. It's just because an understanding. It gives you some way of of reference, exactly yeah. understanding in the world. It's kind of you know I think that your math um, analogy is actually really really great because um, what we know to be true of math, mm-hmm. right, could totally not be reality it's yeah. our understanding of reality yeah you know and music's the same way you know and jacob collier who's a wonderful pianist and music theorist and mm-hmm. just great at really everything music yeah. prodigy really um, yeah <laughs> he um you know he says all the time when he plays a, a expanded chord right or an extended chord he's like i don't think we need to give this a name mm-hmm. like you can just have it be what it is yeah and i do i think that's amazing yeah um, until you have to communicate to somebody else how to play that. Yes. Yes. So, so it's like, um, you know, they can use their ears, but say that their ears aren't that good. Yeah. Not everybody's you know? ears are great. Yeah. Um, so basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is music theory is just what we have named these things. Yeah. These things existed far before music theory existed. <laughs> for they're Earth literally existed. yeah, they're literally just um, hertz and sound waves and yeah. tones. It's scientific and, measurements. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is just what we've thought would be an easy way to communicate it with each other. It's it's like like I think I, we said this yesterday when we were when we were chatting about this. It's like uh like if you want to be a visual artist, a painter, um, you learn about your primary colors and your secondary colors and what colors you can use to mix colors. And there are painters like Van Gogh, for instance, who who actually were like somewhat colorblind. Like right. he actually had like, you know, some some issues with with seeing all the colors properly. And he still did fine. He wrote he he, he painted incredible works of art. Yeah. So like, you know, he didn't need to know that theory necessarily. But I I bet you I bet you he knew some color theory. He probably knew how to <laughs> fucking, sure. you know, mix red and yellow and make orange. For like, sure. You know, yeah. And and so, you know, we just want to encourage you guys to break the rules. Don't feel that music theory is going to hold you back in any way. It is just a way to communicate with each other and understand music better um, in 
the world that we live in. <laughs> exactly. And not knowing music theory does not make you any less of a musician. Not at in all. In any way. So thank you guys so much for listening to Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review and connect with us more on Instagram and TikTok at SDD Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Each episode <laughs> is also available on video format on YouTube. And don't forget. Have fun. Don't do too much. And it's going to happen. Thank <laughs> you.